they got to hold something, I just had to figure out what to do with my hands. I couldn't figure out what to do with them. So I just, I started putting them in my pocket, and CB said, don't do that. So, so that's not fair. They, they cheated. Today we're going to begin a series. Now, I like to do series messages. I know I haven't done too many in the year, three years we've been here. But with Easter coming up, I want to start an Easter series. And I'm entitling this, The Final Words from the Cross. Now, originally I called it Jesus' Final Words, but that's not true. I got to think about that, and that's not a true statement. Because even after the cross, Jesus rose from the grave and spoke many things since then. And by the way, he's still speaking to us today. In fact, in regards of what the view says, he still speaks to us all the time. We won't get into that, though. But anyway, throughout history, when famous people were dying, scribes stood by to record the last words they spoke. Let me just tell you, you can go ahead and turn if you want to to Luke chapter 33, uh, Luke 23, verses 33 and 34. We'll get there in a few minutes, so just bear with me. There is an air of finality and authority about the last words that a person ever speaks before death. There are many famous final words. For instance, because of Shakespeare's drama, most of you know Julius Caesar was attacked in 44 B.C. and stabbed by some of his friends, or supposedly friends, and he was shocked to see his friend Brutus holding the knife his famous last words were, You too, Brutus, or in Latin, Et tu, Brute? We all know that one. Conrad Hilton established the chain, a chain of hotels around the world. His first ho, uh, Hilton Hotel was built in Dallas in 1925. He's the great-grandfather of Paris and Nicky. I don't know that that's important to anybody, but he is nonetheless. On his deathbed in 1979, he was asked if he had any final words, and he said, Leave the shower curtain on the inside of the tub. Some final words show a little bit of a fear of death. Queen Elizabeth I lived in luxury all of her, di- all of her life. As she lay dying in 1603, her last words were, All these possessions for a moment of time. That's pretty sad if you think about it. Compare those words to those of one of our past presidents, Dwight D. Eisenhower. He not only lived well, he died well. In 1966, in Walter Reed Hospital, Army Hospital in Washington, Washington, his final words were, I've always loved my wife, my children, and my grandchildren, and I've always loved my country. I want to go. God, please take me. Now, that's the kind of words we need to have at the end of our lives. I like that. Final words are important, and over the next few weeks, we're going to do... Like I say, a series. The only time we're going to stop doing is on the 25th when we have our Easter musical going to be presented. And by the way, there's still plenty of room for all of you. So just come on up here at 445 over the music room in the office next door. No, no reason for you not to be here. And it, that'll be on Palm Sunday. So that's the only day we're not going to do this. And then we'll wrap it up on Easter Sunday, the, the April 5th. So keep that in mind and come on out and join them. Now, let me just stop there and say something because this is very important. Most of you know that Chris became our church secretary here within the last two weeks, and I've heard that he sings. I don't know who told me that, Jamie, 
But anyway, it, uh, I think everybody needs to make sure, as the church secretary, he needs to be up here singing, right? So just before you leave the building, make sure you stop by and tell him that. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> again, the final words are important. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be studying the final words that Jesus spoke from the cross. We can't call these his final words because he's still speaking today. And so this is not his final words. It's the final words from the cross. The final words from the cross. Today we're looking at words of grace, but we're also going to look at words of promise, words of anguish, words of victory, and then on Easter Sunday, the 1st of April, words of life. And so, come on back for all of it if you want to, just to be a part of it and just enjoy it with us. But as we, as we go through this, I think it's very important for us, whether you're a new Christian or you've been following Jesus for decades, you should never get too far from the cross. The cross ought to be the most important thing in our lives because that's where our lives changed. You say, well, I wasn't alive back then. No, but it's because what happened on the cross, we're here today. I want to, over the next few weeks, call your attention back to the details and the impact of crucifixion. There are multitudes of Americans who scoff at the ideal that today, what took place in the Roman cross 2,000 years ago is sufficient or important to this day. I beg to differ with them. The cross is the most important thing. In fact, I believe it's the center point of all Humanity, that's the word I was trying to get out. I believe it's the turning point for so many lives. That was the most unusual, remarkable thing that ever took place, the cross of Jesus Christ. What's so unusual about it? A man died on the cross. There were men that were dying all the time on the cross. What's so unusual? Because of who this person was and what he did for us because of that. Since we live in a modern world with modern problems like terrorism and global warming and all the things we hear about all the time, what impact could a Roman execution have on us today? Many people who don't know Jesus would say that we're, what we're doing here today, worshiping together, singing together, praising together, and so forth, is nothing but an exercise in foolish futility. Because they say, why do you bother going to church? There is no God. If there is a God, He doesn't have anything to do about your life. And so, that's the way the world looks at us. But those of us who've been changed by God's power know that something happened in our lives. Whether it was this year, 20 years ago, 80 years ago for that matter. You know something happened and it's because of the cross that that was able to happen. And so that's what we're looking at over the next few weeks. Paul expressed it in this way in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But what's these words? But to us who are, are being saved, it is the power of God. Now let me stop here for a minute. Did you, did you hear those words? For us who are being saved. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, when were you, when were you saved? You'd probably point to a date or at least a month or a year or whatever it may have been. But did you hear what that verse said? To the ones that are being saved. 
Salvation, yes, there's an instant where it happens, but it keeps on happening in your life day after day after year after year, and it's still happening today. That's the importance of this. Watch how it is. As we approach the cross of Jesus today, I feel like, though, I feel like it's although it's almost like holy ground as we talk about this. As we stand before the cross, but listen to the words of grace Jesus spoke from the cross. If you will, get your Bibles, and I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me as we read these verses. Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34. Luke 23, 33 and 34. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time we can gather here today. We thank you for your word. But, Lord, most of all, we thank you for the salvation that Jesus Christ brought to each one of us. And, Lord, sometimes I'm afraid we, as even as Christians, don't realize the price that was paid and what happened those, that day on that cross. Lord, it changed the history of mankind. It changed everything. And we're here as testimonies that Jesus Christ has made a difference in our lives, or we wouldn't be here at all. Lord, go with us over these next few minutes. Speak to our hearts. And, Lord, before we leave this building, if anyone here does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, before they leave this building, they will have that opportunity. Go with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There are three different scenes that take place at the cross I want to examine. First, that's today. First, we'll discuss the prayer of Jesus for God to forgive. Now remember, they're putting him to death. And he's going to be praying for them. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Then we'll look at the words of, that Jesus spoke to his mother, Mary. And finally, we'll talk about the directions Jesus gave to the disciple named John. And all three of these scenes, Jesus spoke words of grace to each one of them. This is about grace today. Jesus defined grace when he prayed for those who were crucifying him. As he hung on the cross, the first words Jesus spoke was actually a prayer. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. In the original language, Jesus said, it's in the perfect tense, if you will, which conveys a continual action. In other words, it seems Jesus repeated this prayer several times that day. Picture Jesus being placed on the cross as it lay on the ground. Two Roman soldiers hold his arms outstretched as another hammers a huge spike through his hands, through the skin, through the muscle tissue. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Then as they placed his other arm on the crossbeam and pounded that spike into the other hand, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Next, they moved down to his feet and crossed one foot over the other foot, pounding the nail deeply into the wooden cross. Again, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Folks, that's grace. That's a picture of grace right there. 
Then all five soldiers lifted that cross up, walked over to an old hole that had been honed out of rock, and they put it up there and let it slide down in that hole. And when it hit the bottom, can't you imagine the pain that was suffered? Again, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. As the bottom of the cross slides in that hole, falls and bangs in that old rocky mountain, a sudden stop at the bottom just probably tore the skin from the weight of his body falling into that hole and the feel the hurt of it. The body, the body of Jesus is jerked from the momentum and the fiery pain that must have shot through those hands and feet. Not even talking about the crown of thorns upon his head that's bleeding, pierced into his almost to a skull. Not even mentioning that. But three times Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. I wonder if a better translation might be, Father, forgive them. They don't know who they're doing it to. They don't know who they're doing this to. Father, forgive them, for they know, do not know what they are doing. What grace. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, Jesus was full of grace and truth. He is grace incarnate. He's the picture of grace. We talk about that word grace. But what is it? What is grace, really? I heard a simple defi definition not too long ago, and I jotted it down. And I, I like to eat. This is not mine. I didn't make this up. I'm not that smart, so just know that. But Anyway, it goes like this. Grace is something I need, but I don't deserve. To me, that says it all. Grace and mercy are two sides of the same coin. Grace is God giving me what I need, but I don't deserve. His unconditional love his, and His full and free forgiveness. Mercy is God giving me what is God withholding what I do deserve, death and hell. By praying this prayer, Jesus was, provide, was providing, was proving he really was the Messiah. 750 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, that the Messiah would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. By the way, Isaiah wrote those words, inspired words, predicting the Messiah would be pierced 300 years before crucifixion even became a method of execution. It wasn't around at that time. How did Isaiah know it was going to happen? Well, duh. God spoke to him and told him what to write. Yes, the Old Testament is still inspired of God. The entire Bible is God's Word spoken through men, but spoken to them. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors, it says in Isaiah 53, 12. The word intercession means to pray for someone. To pray for someone. I was just... What did I do with it? Hold on just a moment. I was just given a note a few minutes ago, and I like to forgot, Miss Martha. I want to stop for just a moment because this is very important. It says, Pastor, 
Can you have the church pray for Hope Garcia? Tomorrow morning, she's going in for a very serious operation. In fact, it says, and will probably need chemotherapy afterwards. Now, for you that's visiting, well, that's one of our members of the church. Sweet little lady that's had a lot of challenges. And I, I would just like to do that. We're talking about prayer right here. Let's just stop for just a moment and lift up Miss Hope. She's going in tomorrow morning. Scott and White, isn't it? Not sure. Okay. It, uh, we'll let you know as soon as we know. But she's going to the hospital tomorrow for major surgery. And then looks like chemotherapy will be the next step after that. But let's pause for just a moment. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. And, Lord, we just ask that you be with us. And I know there's people here that doesn't know Miss Hope, but, Lord, just let them take our word for her. She's just a sweet, sweet lady, a very dedicated lady. And, Lord, she's facing a major surgery tomorrow. And we just ask that you would, even at this very moment, just let her have peace and comfort and knowing that we as a church family, we as a community will lift her up and be praying for her. Thank you, Lord. Just ask your blessings upon her and her family as she goes through this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, I know that, that wasn't planned, but we just talking about prayer and intercession. That's exactly what we just did, is interceding on her behalf. And so that's exactly what takes place here. He bore, our, he bore the sins of many and made intercession for our transgressions. The word intercession means to pray for someone. That's exactly what Jesus is doing on the cross. When he prayed to God to forgive those who are crucified, he was making intercession for his transgressors, the ones that were putting him to death. Now, I've got to tell you, I like to think I'm sort of like Jesus, but I don't think I could pray for you if you was putting me to death. I'll just be honest with you. I just don't know if I could do that. But that's exactly what Jesus was doing. Why? He's hanging on the cross. These men were intent on killing him, putting him to death, and he was going to die shortly. And he's praying for interceding for them that God would not hold it to their account. Jesus was also practicing what he preached. In the Sermon on the Mount, he taught us to, that we should pray for our enemies. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you do that on a regular basis? That's what I thought. <laughs> but Jesus said we should pray for our enemies, the ones that hurt us, the ones that want to do harm to us, the ones that don't like us. Pray for our enemies. Jesus demonstrated how we're to show grace and forgiveness to those who are our enemies and have even hurt us perhaps. Because he loved his enemies and prayed for them in the time <coughs> excuse me, of his death, <coughs> excuse me. he shows us that we can pray for our enemies. It wasn't very long after this that the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was stoned to death by the same mob that demanded Jesus' death. In the moments before his death, if you remember the story in Acts chapter 7, in the moments before he died, Stephen did what Jesus had done. His final words are recorded in Acts chapter 7, verse 60. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he added just before he died, he prayed, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could. Somebody was wanting to kill me, 
I don't know that I could pray for them. But that's what Jesus tells us to do. That's what He teaches us to do. Why couldn't we? These words have a deeper and wider meaning than only being applied to the Roman soldiers even, who were crucifying Jesus 2,000 years ago. They speak to us today. Here's the personal application. Jesus forgives me for my part in His death. Jesus forgives me for my part in His death. Well, I wasn't even there. How could I be part of it? Jesus died for every person in this room, every person at every church in this community. Jesus died so we could live. That's how we have a part of it. There is still a hill outside of Jerusalem today that many believe is Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. In fact, they say that there is even a rock cliff that still looks hauntingly like the face of a skull. I don't know if it is or not. I've never been to Israel. But even if, you were, if you've never been to the Holy Land, you were there 2,000 years ago. You were there. Because Jesus looked in the future, and He saw this crazy young man named Norm Melton, and He said, if I don't reach down and touch him, he doesn't have a chance. He doesn't have a hope in life. And Jesus died for me on that cross 2,000 years ago, knowing that I would be here today. That's how much Jesus loves me and you. He went to the cross for us as much as He did for those soldiers that nailed Him to the cross. It's because of us that Jesus went to the cross. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His own body on that tree. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The Bible says God laid on Him the iniquities of us all. Whether you ever accept Jesus Christ or not, God died for you just the same. That's how much He loves you. Even though we didn't hold the hammer and the nails in, the, in our hands and feet, hands and drive it through His feet, of Jesus, we're the reason He went to the cross. And the good news is that when you put your absolute trust in Jesus, He still prays that prayer for you today. Father, forgive them, for they didn't know what they were doing. Jesus is still, still speaking words of grace. The second thing that is interesting about this passage, Jesus displayed grace when He took care of His own mother. After Jesus looked out at those crucifying Him, His gaze fell upon the first human face that His eyes had ever seen. 33 years earlier, in Bethlehem, He saw His mother, Mary, standing there with three other people. At this point, He only had eyes for His mother. In a tremendous display of grace, Jesus said to her, in John nineteen twenty six, Woman, behold your son. Don't you know she loved looking at that sight? The bloody, hurting, painful sight of her son hanging on a cross dying. John was standing next to Mary. And Jesus was telling his mother, 
John would now assume the role of taking care of her. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, here's a lady that wasn't even kin to John. And John made arrangements for him to take care of his mother. Have you ever thought about that? That after the mention of Joseph, when Jesus was 12 years old, there's no other mention of Joseph, Mary's husband, in the Bible. Most scholars think that Joseph died, but we're not told. We don't know. We don't know what happened. As the eldest son, Jesus had the responsibility of taking care of his mother. And in the same moment in which Jesus was dying for the sins of the world, he still had the capacity to take care of his mother. That's grace, folks. That's grace. Put yourself in Mary's sandals for just a moment. Her life was radically changed 33 years earlier. When God sent Gabriel to tell her she would give birth to a little boy who would be the Son of God. To say the least, she was somewhat shocked. Her reply was impossible. She explained to Gabriel, she was still a virgin. How could that happen? Gabriel said in Luke one thirty-seven, nothing is impossible with God. When he was eight years old, Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus to the temple for his circumcision and dedication. An old prophet named Simeon was there. Now, this is the Christmas story, so you probably remember parts of it anyway. The Bible said he was filled with the Holy, Ghost, Holy Spirit and took Jesus in his arms and said to Mary, this is in Luke chapter 2, 34 and 35, This child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. From the start, Mary had been warned something would happen to Jesus that would hurt her so deeply. It would be like a sharp sword plunged into her soul. As she stood at the cross, she finally came to understand what Simeon had said 33 years early. What he was talking about. Hurt, pain can be understood by any parent who's ever had to stand by and watch their child suffer of some illness, some operation, whatever it may have been. It's almost common. One writer wrote about Mary's feelings at the cross. Here's what he said. She sees him suspended but cannot touch him. She sees him nailed and may not loose him. She sees him dripping with blood but cannot remove it. She sees him wounded but cannot bind up his wounds. She hears him cry, I thirst, but may not give him to drink. Can you imagine being a mother watching that take place? And Jesus did it all for us. Moms and dads, if you ever had to watch your child suffer, wouldn't you have gladly taken their place to take that, chains, that child's pain away? We'd do it in a minute if we could do it. But it's always not possible. I'm sure Mary felt the same way, but the amazing thing is that Jesus is what Jesus is. He was actually taking Mary's pain upon himself. I think I've said before, one of my favorite Christmas songs is 
Mary, did you know? And the reason that speaks to me so much is because of these words. Mark Lowry wrote the song. Here's what it says. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would someday walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? Mary, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was delivering Mary from her sin, sorrow, grief. He bore her pain and sorrow and made it His very own. In the moment of her deepest agony and pain, Jesus cared for her as only Jesus can do. What does that mean to me then? That's 2,000 years ago. The personal application is this. Jesus cares during the most painful experiences of your life. I don't know what it is, but Jesus cares for it. It may have been recent. It may have been 30 years ago. It may have been 50 years ago. It may be next week. But when you go through a painful situation, understand, Jesus cares during the most important and painful experiences you've ever had in your life. When your heart is breaking, your pain is overwhelming, you may wonder, does anyone even know the pain that I'm going through? And I'm here to tell you, yes, there is someone. Jesus says He knows exactly what you're going through. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, that you can cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. That applies to every one of us. Jesus said, every hair on your head is numbered. And God notices every time a sparrow falls to the earth. You can be sure He's watching over you. Are you going through a painful time in your life right now? Or maybe you just came out of it. Maybe you're fixing to go through one. Does it feel as if a sharp sword has been just plunged into your heart? It hurts so bad. Just as He did for Mary, Jesus has opened His arms wide to each and every one of us on the cross to let you know He cares for you, no matter what you're facing. It may be a situation at work that has nothing to do with anybody else, but to you it's a painful experience. God says, I care for you. Call upon me. But there's also another person who was standing at the cross. Another lesson we learned from these two or three verses we just read. That he needed to... We need to learn from His amazing words of grace. Finally, we see Jesus dem demonstrated grace when He restored John at the cross. Do what? What are you talking about? John? What did He do? How did He get there? Jesus said to, a to His disciples, Here is your mother. We know this to be John because he often identifies himself as the disciple who loved Jesus. Jesus was doing more than simply assigning a task to take care of his mother to John. Now remember, this is not John's mother. This is Jesus' mother. But out of the off the cross, while he's on the cross hanging there dying, he looks out and sees John and says, John, will you take care of mom for me? Will you take care of mom he was actually restoring John back to fellowship with him. Do what? What, what? 
Where'd you get that? Go back with me to the evening before the cross. Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room. John was reclining next to Jesus. Jesus shocked his followers with three predictions. First of all, he predicted one of his disciples would betray him. Remember, they all asked each other, Could it be me? Am I going to do that? Second, Jesus predicted that all of his disciples would run away from him in his hour of need. At that, old loudmouth Peter boasted with the other disciples that all these other guys might desert you, but I'll never leave you. Remember what Jesus said to him? Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow, you will deny me three times. Peter says, they may all desert you, but I'm not going to leave you. And yet, a short time later, three times Peter denied even knowing him. All three predictions came true. Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied knowing Jesus. But we often forget about what happened with the other disciples, including John. John ran away. They all joined John and ran away and disappeared like rats leaving a sinking ship. We tend to focus on Peter's failure, and he did. He failed him. But John and the rest of the disciples deserted him the same. And now here John was, standing in this crowd. And Jesus looks down from the cross. John, take care of mom for me, will you? John was the only disciple that we know of that stood at the cross that day. He came back to meet Jesus at the cross. Surely John didn't know what to expect. He might have been expected, faced expected accusations or even arrest from the Romans that took Jesus captive. He might have been expecting a rebuke from Jesus. Oh, he's going to chew me out now. He sees me. He's going to give me a good one. But he didn't do that. He says, John, take care of mom. Take care of my mother. Instead, John heard words of grace. As Jesus saw him standing there, he said, here is your mother. To really show this thought, Jesus was really saying, thanks for coming back, friend. I forgive you for running off and leaving me. To show you how much I trust you, I'm going to give you an important job. Take care of mom, will you? Can you imagine what old John was thinking? How shallow he must have felt. He turned his back on Jesus. But at least he came back. And that's an important part. That could indicate that John escorted Mary away at the very moment after he said those words. I don't know. We're not told. To spare her the heartache of seeing Jesus for the next six hours in pain and agony. Maybe that's what he did. I don't know. But I believe some of us can relate to that. To John. Like John, you've run away from Jesus. Oh, you didn't physically forsake him. You just wandered away in your commitment to Christ. The Bible has a word for that. It's called being backslidden. Proverbs 14, 14 says, The backslider in his heart will be filled with his own ways. As you examine your heart, would you admit that there perhaps has been a time in your life, perhaps right today, when you were more committed to Jesus Christ than you are now? 
Was there a time when you got up every day and met the Lord for a quiet time of prayer and Bible study? But like John, you've wandered away from Jesus. Was there a time when you're, you actively served and the Lord and with gladness and wanted to be a part of His church and fellowship and, and do something in the church, serve in a place? But you got too busy and just as time passed, you slowly drifted away into complacency. If you walked away in your life from, with Jesus, here's the personal application. Jesus can restore me if I'll meet Him at the cross. That's what happened with John. He deserted the Lord, but he met Him back at the cross. Now, like I say, John's the only one we know of that came to the scene of the cross. So John must have been burdened by something. It must have been working on him. But folks... Every one of us have probably turned our backs on Jesus at some time in our life. If not, you probably will. It's just the way we are. We're just that type of person. Do you want to be restored? Like John, you have known the Lord for a long time, perhaps. But something caused you to slip away. Maybe you got mad inside the church. Let me tell you something, folks. Now, I'm a Baptist. Baptists hurt each other sometimes. We can say vicious things to each other. We can hurt each other's feelings. That's not what God wants in the house of God. We ought to love each other in everything we do. The best place for you to be restored is at the cross. It's on the cross that you witness the height, the breadth, the depth, and the width of the love of God that He has for you. And when you meet Him there, the first thing Jesus says to you is, I'm glad you're back. I've missed you. I want to restore you to a place where you can lean on me. I have a job for you. Take care of my people. Serve me again. I have a cross for you. Take up my cross and follow me. As I said at the beginning of this message, never wander too far from the cross. The great blind hymn writer named Fanny Crosby had more spiritual vision than most of us with two eyes. She wrote a beautiful prayer that might well express the desires of your heart today. Listen to this prayer as she wrote the words, and we sing it today. Jesus, keep me near the cross. They're a, they're a precious fountain. Free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Sometimes we don't sing those old songs often enough. I like the new music. I like all the courses. And I enjoy those. But those old songs like that are written from a heart of God. The cross is a perfect place for every person to meet the Lord. If you're a Christian, you can meet Jesus at the cross as He dies for your sin and offers you grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Today, can you get... Today, you can surely get... Let me reward that. Get to heaven. To a home in heaven. Just like last week, Dr. Billy Graham 
probably one of the most godly men that's ever lived outside of Jesus and Paul himself and probably a few others. But a man that gave his life of nearly 99 years serving God. Serving God. I heard on the radio just the other day, and we're closing with this, that this guy was telling his experience about meeting Billy Graham years ago. And he said, you know, the thing that got me is he didn't preach down to me. He didn't talk down to me with all of his intelligence. He just told me about Jesus. And I responded. That's what it's all about, folks. Today, you can surely get home to heaven when you come to the cross of Jesus. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life. But I guarantee somebody in this room has turned their back on Jesus, just like John did. But did you notice that Jesus did not chew him out? I told you he wasn't going to make it. He loved them back. If you're here today and you've gotten away from Jesus, He's waiting at the cross for you. Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank You, Lord, for this time You've given us. And Lord, we thank You most of all for Jesus that did die upon that cross for each and every one of us. Whether we ever accept Him or not, He still died for us. And Lord, in my personal life, I thank You because You made it real in my life. Lord, we ask that you'd go with this time of invitation. We're not going to tarry long. But that, Lord, you would just open our hearts. There may be somebody here today that's away from God. There may be somebody here today that's never come to know Jesus Christ. There may be some here today that just say, you know, I've just got out of the work of the church. And God's impressed upon me. I need to be back. Whatever it may be, this is between you and God. Our deacons will be on the side here. They'd be glad to talk to you. Anything you need to deal with, we'll pray with you for it, whatever it is. But the one you need to call most is Jesus. Can you do that today? All these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.